This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 52. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. I hope you're having a great new year so far. The podcast is now back in full swing, especially in time for the RRSP and tax season coming up. And today we have author and Canadian investor Larry Bates on the show. Now, Larry is the author of the book called Beat the Bank, where he shows specifically for Canadians how you can build a larger retirement nest egg by switching from high cost mutual funds to more efficient, low cost investment products and how you can do that in a couple of hours a year. He talks about some of the secrets in the investment industry that many Canadians don't know about. He decodes some of the mystery that is prevalent around investing here in Canada. And he provides a simple step-by-step guide to investing. And like me, believes that you don't need to be an expert to start investing successfully. You just need to know the basics. So Larry is a former banker turned investor advocate. He spent 35 years in banking, has since retired from that, and now spends his time increasing financial literacy for Canadians specifically in the area of investing. Now, to kick things off on a good note, I've arranged a book giveaway with Larry where you can enter for free for a chance to win one of three signed copies of Larry's book. Now, this is obviously for a limited time, and the giveaway ends at the end of February 2019. So be sure to sign up now for a free chance to win. And to enter the giveaway, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash bank. all one word. That's buildwealthcanada.ca ca slash beat the bank and once you enter you'll get a special link as well to the giveaway which you can share with your friends and family and that will automatically give you more ballots for the giveaway so the more you share the more ballots you get uh, and then you're basically going to have an even higher chance of winning so you can choose to do that or not it's up to you but that's how you get the most ballots possible all right so that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash beat the bank and last but definitely not least don't forget to claim your free one-year digital subscription to canadian money saver magazine canada's largest personal finance and investing magazine we thank them for sponsoring the show uh, it's a 20 dollars subscription that you get for free as a build wealth canada listener and the magazine features canada's top experts on personal finance and investing and is a great place to learn best practices and stay up to date on changes that will impact your investments and financial situation for years to come specifically here in canada now to get that, all you have to do is open up a free savings account with my favorite bank and the bank that I personally use, which is EQ Bank. Uh, now, the reason I personally use EQ Bank is that they have one of the highest interest rates in Canada. In fact, in all the years that I've been with them, I haven't been able to find a higher interest rate anywhere. Plus, it's free to sign up and keep an account with them, so you're not paying monthly fees like you do with many of the other banks out there here in Canada. And you get five free Interact transfers as well every month as a bonus. So, because of those reasons, I've been with them ever since they launched in Canada. Canada years ago, and it's where I keep my entire emergency fund and all my spending money. And it just, to put things in perspective, at the time of this recording, their Savings Plus account automatically gives you 2.3% interest, while other online banks in Canada are offering a maximum of 1.25%. And you know, if you're still banking with one of the larger banks, then you're probably getting less than 1% last time I checked. So in other words, by using the bank that I use, you're going to pretty much almost double the interest that you're getting from your checking and savings account. And, and 
more than double it if you're using one of the bigger banks, for example. So, and you basically get to do this, all this for free. And this is why I've been using and recommending them for years to anybody that's asked and even before they became a sponsor on the show. I mean, there's no, like, there's no initial fee to set this up. There's no ongoing fee. You just get that 2.3% for having the account open. And then you basically, when the interest rates, let's say they go up, from what I've seen in the past, they will also increase the interest rate. So, you know, from what I've seen, even though the interest rates have fluctuated over the years, they have consistently been the highest that I've been able to find. Uh, so that's why I've stuck with them. Uh, and and it's, I mean, it's been great. Uh, so now, even if you love your current bank, you know, just for regular day-to-day use, why wouldn't you at least keep your emergency fund and any extra cash that you're not investing in your savings account over at EQ? And then that way, you're at least earning over double the interest on your checking and savings account compared to your current bank. And that's actually what I did when I first started with them. And since then, I've actually transitioned to them now being our primary bank. Uh, so to get your free account and a one-year free subscription to Canadian Money Saver Magazine, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. That's buildwealthcanada.ca, the letter E and the letter Q. Open the free account. And once you're done, forward any email that you get from EQ, just basically any confirmation email or anything at all that you get from EQ that you open the account. So forward that email to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca. And I'll send you a coupon code that gets you a free one-year subscription to Canadian Money Saver Magazine. So that's a $20 subscription that you get for free. So that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ to open the account and then forward me any email from EQ to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll email you the free coupon code to the magazine. All right, so enjoy. Thanks for supporting the show in that way. And now let's get into the episode. All right, Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So Larry, tell us your story and what your new book is about. Sure, well, I... um... I grew up in the Maritimes. I, I went to Dalhousie University and uh, uh, and then uh, started my career in the investment business and spent uh, 35 years or so in the in the business, um, <clears throat> working for uh, a few different institutions, but mostly for RBC Capital Markets. And um, I spent my career uh, dealing with and advising uh, very large, sophisticated investors. Uh, in Canada and around the world, um, and uh, I, I never dealt with the individuals in in, in Canada, but uh, but my book is focused on that. And uh, as I was sort of winding up my career, I I, I spent some time looking at how the industry uh, serves individual Canadians, and it's and it's generally not a pretty picture. Uh, most Canadians invest in. Uh, in stock markets through mutual funds. In fact, 5 million Canadian households own mutual funds. Um, and uh, most of the mutual funds sold by the big banks, as well as the, the industry generally, have very, well, actually deceptively high fees, uh, which, which mean that um, most Canadians are, are taking 100% of the market risk, but only earning about 50% of the market return with the balance of the return being lost in fees. Uh, and that's, that has a devastating result on retirement accounts. And, and again, most people don't see that. So the book is, first of all, a bit of a wake-up call uh, with regard to, to that, uh, uh, that, that problem or that, that short, shortcoming in, in, in the way people invest. And, and then secondly, um, provides some investment basics uh, which if people take 
time to learn some basics. And you don't need to be an expert, but learn the basics and you'll be able to take advantage of, uh, of some of the great low-cost investing products that are now available, widely available uh, uh, through many institutions, including the big banks, actually. Um, and, and those lower-cost products will leave much more money where it belongs in your pocket. And so the book, uh, the, the, the book is, uh, again, a wake up call on, uh, on the, on the lousy, crappy products that most people use to invest. Um, and, uh, and, and then secondly, a, a guide on how to switch over into much lower cost products and significantly increase your, your ultimate retirement nest egg. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned that 50% number, how you know, close to 50% can actually be eaten up in fees of you know, when it comes to your investment portfolio. I remember when I first heard that, I thought, okay, that's got to be an exaggerated number. That, that can't possibly be that high. You know, There's no way someone could get away with taking that much of your portfolio. But then I remember actually crunching the numbers myself because I was very skeptical. And, and, it's, and it's true. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you yeah. mentioned that. And I think you know, if somebody, it's very easy to get, I think, you know, intimidated by these things and, and it can be hard but, you know, to pull the trigger because there's so many options, right? But I think you know, that 50% of your portfolio being eaten up by fees, I think it's worth highlighting because I think that can be a very big motivator for people to actually take action who are still in, uh, investing in the high cost way. Well, it's kind of, it's really outrageous. And, and, and uh, you know, I've had a couple of people tell me, oh, Larry, the biggest problem you have is people aren't going to believe you. Uh, you know, nobody will believe that you lose 50% of your returns. And in terms of you know, where, what other product, where, where else could you, <laughs> you find a, a fee level or a cost level of 50%? It's kind of like if you, if you bought a house and 20 years later, you, you sold the house and you gained, oh, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, uh, in, in increase in house value and your, 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 your real estate agent comes by and says, no, no, I'll take half of that gain back, back for exactly. me. You know, it's just, it's, it's, ma- it's complete madness. And, and, uh, you know, how does it happen? Well, people just don't see it. Uh, the, the industry uh, works very, very hard at making sure that you don't know that. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I mean, I, I, you know, I work with, with people in the industry and there's definitely, you know, we get questions quite frequently and people will say, well, you know, I'm not really interested in this DIY low cost investing thing because I don't pay my financial advisor anything. So why, why should, you know, I don't need to cut my cost because I'm already getting it for free. Right. And so that is obviously a very, very big flag because nobody yeah. works for free, especially in this industry. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. And so, you know, if you feel like, okay, I don't have to think about this because. I'm getting it for free. Well, the, the truth is you're not. You just don't know about those hidden fees. And you're just, then the 50% that we're talking about, that's actually hitting you right now probably uh, as we speak. Well, just think about it. I mean, if, if, you, if you just take that impact of 50% of your return is lost in fees. So uh, if you can find a way to largely eliminate those fees, not totally, but dramatically reduce them, you can... You, you can increase your returns significantly and almost double them, not by taking more risk, uh, not by buying like crazy stocks at uh, uh, you know the volatile and startup companies, whatever. Simply by by using lower cost uh, investment products and services rather than uh, than typical uh, industry mutual funds, and uh, 
Now that is, um, it's, it's not that complicated. You don't need to be an expert. You just need to learn a few of the basics. And that's what the book is about. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a common misconception that you need to hit some home runs in the stock market in order to, let's say, get a, you know, a seven figure portfolio, right. Or you have to work for some company and, uh, you know, like the next Google and you get stock options and you sell it and now you're a millionaire that way. But the reality is that you actually don't need to do either of those things. You can just invest consistently, uh, you know, with a high enough savings rate and you can actually get to that seven figure portfolio without it's just not as difficult as appears at first glance and it doesn't require as much luck as appears at first glance. It doesn't require any luck really. It, it requires uh, um, uh, discipline, uh, patience, time, uh, and uh, again, uh, keeping your costs low. Mm-hmm. Now, what inspired you to write the book? I know you had a pretty interesting, I, I mean, I've heard the story before, but I think it's really interesting for the listeners. Can you can you share us kind of what gave you that that push to to, to write this and educate Canadians on this? Sure. Well, <clears throat> I was sitting on uh, on the trading floor uh, in one of the bank towers downtown uh, about five years ago at sort of the the, the tail end of my banking uh, investment banking career, and I got a call from my sister uh, from uh, from New Brunswick, and uh, she said to me, "Hey, Larry, all we hear about is how well the stock market's doing, but this bank mutual fund that we we've held for fifteen years hasn't done very much, and we don't understand why." Can you have a look? So I, I, I quickly Googled it and I said to my sister, do you, do you realize you're paying 2.3% in fees? And she said, we're, we're paying fees? Um, it's kind of like the, 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 the person you mentioned earlier. She wasn't really aware that she was paying fees. And I said, no, no you're, yeah, you're paying 2.3% a year. And she said, you mean 2.3% of our returns? And I said, no, no, 2.3% of your total investment amount. You're paying that away every year. If you've done that for the past 15 years, that means that, you know, 35 or 40% of your money is gone. And my sister was, she was shocked. She had no sense of, of that. She, she wasn't aware of the fees. She certainly wasn't aware of the impact of those fees over time. And, uh, you know, for, she and her husband, um, they worked hard. They're, they're you know, middle-class Canadians, uh, like most people out there, every penny of their retirement savings is, is important to them. And um, you know, she felt uh, she felt like she'd been mis- misled, and, and, and technically, perhaps she wasn't. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that, that she was lied to by by the bank, but she certainly the bank certainly didn't didn't explain uh, the impact of those costs that they were they were uh, extracting from her retirement account uh, silently every you know every quarter or every year or whatever. And I just felt, uh, boy, here here I am. You know, working in this pretty good job, having had a great career in the investment banking business, you know, driving my BMW. Uh, <laughs> and here's my sister down in New Brunswick getting kind of shafted by, by, by uh, you know, by the, by the advice that she received to buy these expensive mutual funds. And just, I felt, uh, I didn't feel good about where I was working. I thought, this is really crappy. I, and that's really um, the short story as to what triggered me to uh, to go down this path of, of, of writing this book and trying to, um, to help average Canadians uh, learn how to uh, you know the simple steps to uh, to, to building a, um, a bigger nest egg by by using smarter lower cost products. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Larry, apart from writing this book, you're retired now as well, right? Or we'll call it retired, even though you're working on, on the book, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always a funny term with the retired, I find, because it's, yeah. you know, just because you're, yeah, it's like, I find at least most people I've talked to that are retired, they actually still do things to keep active that 1% will, would consider as work, but they don't consider work because it's enjoyable. Uh, like in your case, right? Being yeah, exactly. I'm bit, right? very busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Book and, uh, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm retired from, from my main career, certainly. Yeah. There we go. yeah. So that, that that's a good way of, of putting it. Yeah. So so now that you're you know I'll, I'll call it retired. Right? Now that you're retired, what do you per, uh, what do you personally hold in your portfolio? What kind of investments uh, well, have? Sure. Have well, I, I I really three components: um, <clears throat> a, a variety of uh, of blue chip Canadian stocks, and I and I have to confess it's it's. There's probably an overweighting in Canadian banks mm-hmm. um, because I think that uh, you know they've, they've, they'll continue to do well um, as as they have. Uh, so blue chip blue chip Canadian stocks, and the second piece is is mainly um, um, uh, most of my U.S. stock investments. The great majority are just through simple uh, index ETFs, uh, which are very low cost. Um, and then the third piece is uh, GICs. Um, I, I don't actually own bonds. Um, I, uh, I, I I prefer um, I prefer owning GICs because the, uh, um, the the yields are as good or better than than bonds, and uh, I prefer shorter term fixed income investments um, like like. Or, or short-term bonds are, are uh, I like as well, but I just prefer GICs because uh, it's simple. The yields are are, are good, and uh, um, and I'm comfortable with uh, with the the risk. Mm-hmm. Those those are the three components I have. Interesting. So, so it sounds like you're. I, I guess I'll call you a hybrid investor, right? Where you're not only passive index ETFs. You're not only stock picking. You're doing a bit of a of a hybrid, right? Like you mentioned, the blue chips in Canada. You mentioned the ETF, mm-hmm. the ETFs uh, in the U.S. Um, so l- let's talk about doing passive index investing through ETFs versus selecting individual stocks. You know, or, or doing a combination of both, like what you're doing. What do you see as the pros and cons of these approaches? Sure. Well, um, first of all, uh, the term passive. Uh, People talk about investing through index ETFs as passive investing. I think that's it's unfortunate people use that term because if you're invested in the stock market, whether it's buying stocks directly or, or through index ETFs, it's not a passive exercise. It's it's going to be a dynamic uh, investment. It'll it'll you know it'll it'll be volatile. It'll move up and down, and and you know over time, hopefully, like it always has, hopefully it will continue to to. Uh, to trend upwards uh, steadily over time, despite the volatility in the short term. So, um, but, but if, if I can clarify, if I can, if I can clarify, Larry, by, by passive, yeah. I, I mean more so not having to, you know, read the financial statements, the annual reports yeah. of a company, mm-hmm. and then you know trying to pick a company that you think maybe, let's say, is undervalued or maybe has high potential for growth. Right. So I, I would classify that as more active, where you're you're actively engaged yeah. in investments versus passive being more okay. Uh, like I think what you're doing with, I'm assuming it's what you're doing with your ETFs in the U.S. Right, where you're just you had money or you have money, 
you put it into that same ETF every month or however often. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, you're not trying to time it and predict the U.S. economy and you know, getting in, getting out, that kind of a thing. Well, I, I that's you know, I understand, and I, I just think most people when they hear passive, they, that's a negative. They, people have a negative uh, as a negative connotation. To oh, okay, interesting. But so, uh, so yeah, index investing I think makes sense for uh, for probably most investors uh, because. Uh, picking individual stocks is probably beyond the people don't have the time or, or and frankly don't have the the skill or the ability to 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 find bargains and to you know to pick the future winners and avoid the future losers so i think index investing um is uh, it's it, it's it's very simple very easy uh it's it's very very low cost you know for uh, for instance, a mutual fund uh, might might charge two percent annually in fees, whereas a uh, an index fund might charge uh, one tenth of one percent, or even one twentieth of a percent. So that could be twenty or thirty or forty times cheaper than uh, than a mutual fund. So you know, index ETFs are low cost. That's a huge advantage, and uh, and obviously they provide instant diversification. Uh, there's lots of different ETFs out there, and and, and you've got, got to know a little bit about which ones to choose, but uh, but they all provide automatic diversification, which is, is difficult for investors to build by buying individual stocks unless you've got a ton of money, you know, uh, and um, and you can instantly diversify by buying ten or twenty different stocks. So uh, there's, I think the for the average investor. Um, index buying index ETFs, low cost index ETFs, is um, is, is probably the best way to uh, to to invest as an individual uh, if you're going to do it yourself. Uh, but uh, let's talk about indivi- individual stocks. As as I mentioned, um, uh, my Canadian stock investments are are, are simply individual stocks. Uh, but but as a as an industry professional. Uh, having and at, at my stage, uh, you know, I, I, I invested over the past thirty years or so, you know, bit by bit, adding uh, uh, and creating a diversified individual stock portfolio. Um, I didn't feel that an index for me. Um, well, certainly, when I started, they weren't they weren't around, but um, limited value uh, for me as a confident, you know, experienced. Um, industry professional uh there aren't that many canadian blue chip canadian stocks that's what i own blue chip canadian stocks the banks utilities railways you know phone companies etc um and, and there's there's not much value in an index uh because i've already got the diversification but again for an investor who um who is starting out or or less experienced uh, while you can build an individual stock portfolio uh, and the costs of doing that through uh, a discount broker are incredibly low. Um, it may not be for, I think for most investors, they'd be better off sticking with index ETFs. Mm-hmm. So would you say the main sort of, I guess, con of going with passive, you know, index, or well, I know you like the word passive, but I, you know, yeah. I, I use it in the context of not yeah. actively, you know, trying to research companies, that kind of thing. Yes. Would you say that you know the main kind of downside of doing you know passive ETF investing is that you might earn might earn lower returns than if you invested in individual stocks, assuming you invest 
in the correct individual <laughs> stocks, which is a lot easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, but <laughs> is that really that, what it boils down to, or is there other pieces you think? Well, I think that that's that's true, I suppose. But um, you know, most people uh, don't have the time, uh, as and as I said, they don't have, they don't have the skill to go and um, look at an array of stocks and, and determine, oh, this one's undervalued, this one's overvalued. Uh, remember, uh, we've got hundreds, thousands of, of analysts out there pouring over statements. These are professionals um, who do this for a living. And, uh, and, and, they're, and they're basing their uh, recommendations on, on, uh, on, on all this analysis. And essentially, a stock price reflects the views of all these analysts. So, um, it's uh, it's quite a stretch to think individuals can can go out and uh, and and um, you know and beat those beat those analysts and figure out which which stocks are, are better. So I think that's uh, a tall order, and uh, I, I just think it's so easy and convenient to buy um, to, to invest in, in stock markets through index ETFs. I mean, to say it's a no-brainer might be a bit of a stretch, but you know, relative to picking individual stocks, it is. Uh, and so, for most people, um, I think that's a better route. Mm-hmm. And then, when it comes to evaluating individual stocks, I think a common concern that investors have is what if the stock they are considering is overvalued. So, for example, maybe they, you know, maybe maybe they're in the industry too. Maybe they have a very big interest in investing in blue chip companies like you do, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. But they're concerned. Okay, if I buy into it now, you know, I, I don't know how do I know that whether it's overvalued or not. You know, how do I make sure I don't end up overpaying for it? So, you know, when, when you buy your own uh, blue chip companies, what precautions, due diligence, and research do you personally do before investing? And you know, to in, before choosing to invest in any particular stock. Yeah, I think uh, first of all. <laughs> Great companies often the stocks often appear overvalued, but they stay that way over time. So because because uh, you know the companies are, are strong, their earnings are growing, and, and they demonstrated the track record, and people believe that they'll continue to do so. So um, you know some stocks are overvalued always, and that's fine. Um, uh, but uh, and another angle to it is. Uh, of course, people get excited about, uh, um, you know, this year it's been uh, cannabis stocks. Last year it was crypto. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of investors, you know, are concerned about overvaluation because some of these stocks go from next to nothing to huge valuations, which is where most people start buying them because, you know, retail investors tend to be late. And, uh, and many of the insiders have bought bought these uh, up and coming stocks for for pennies and uh, and they're the, they're the sellers and the retail buyers end up you know buying these stocks at high prices and and uh, you know and losing out at the end of the day so it's there's a bit of a whole game around that which I recommend people stay away from is buy quality stocks or low cost index ETFs and sit on them for a long time and don't worry about it. Forget about the market day to day and what's hot and what's not. Just be a, a, a steady long-term investor. That's, I believe, what most uh, most Canadians should do. In terms of uh, doing due diligence or research on individual stocks, again, you've got 
thousands of professional analysts out there who are advising the big institutional investors on what to do, uh, what's uh, and on stock valuations. And essentially, um, stock prices reflect the those 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 opinions. Um, and uh, if, if you if you see a, a company that you um, you have some faith in, you think their products are are strong. They're uh, they've got a good client base and, and longevity and history of doing well. Uh, probably the stock price is a reflection of what the true value of the company is. Um, so again, to try to out to try to beat or uh, outthink professionals, I, I don't think it's going to serve most investors well. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you're going to try to build an individual stock portfolio, I would say the, the way to do it is to is to to do it bit by bit over time. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify your your holdings and and, and add a little bit. Uh, you know, it could be every year or or every six months. Add a little bit to your portfolio, and if you, if you do that over time, um, you'll be uh, you'll be be somewhat protected by, from the ups and downs of you know the market might be up twenty percent one year, down twenty percent another. But if you're a steady investor over time, those 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 swings won't really have much of an impact on your ultimate result. Mm-hmm. So so I guess you're a believer of the efficient market hypothesis. It sounds like based on what you said. Would that yes. be fair to say? Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Largely. Uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there are exceptions, mm-hmm. but yes, yeah. I'm, I'm a proponent of that <laughs> hypothesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's it's basically what Larry kind of just described, where you know, the, the prices that are out there in the public, they're you know the prices are already reflected based on all the latest kind of you know information. Um, would, would that be fair? Would that be an okay definition, Larry? Or do you have kind of? Uh, I, I think that's correct for yeah. for 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 large uh, blue chip stocks, mm-hmm. or uh, for speculative stocks like penny stocks, mining stocks, crypto stocks, cannabis stocks, etc. Mm-hmm. Basically. The insiders make a ton of money, and the average investor loses. Mm-hmm. So uh, the mar- that market is not efficient mm-hmm. for small investors. It's 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 very dangerous for some average investors. Mm-hmm. But the but large uh, blue chip uh, stocks in, in the market overall, mm-hmm. um, that's uh, the, I think those markets are efficient, and uh, investors don't need to be too concerned about. You know, essentially, you know, an individual investor can go buy, you know, RBC shares or Bell shares or Apple shares or, or whatever it might be at the same price as the big institutions mm. pay. So, um, and, you know, the big institutions are the ones who, who own most of these stocks. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity. The stock market gives average Canadians, average investors, the opportunity to own great businesses by Investing in stocks at the same price as uh, as the biggest players have to pay. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for thanks for that answer. Now, kind of going back to your retirement and you know financial planning strategy and all that. How do you manage your own cash flows now that you're retired? So, in other words, now that you don't have that income coming in from your job every two weeks, you know, what sort of asset allocation or systems or structure have you put in place so that you don't run out of money long term? Well, that's a challenge for everybody uh, because the realist, there's there's no absolute guarantee that you won't run out of money. Even if you throw all your 
your uh, your money into uh, an annuity, for instance, uh, or you um, unless it's unless it's an inflation index annuity, you, you still got risk that uh, that it's not going to be enough at some point. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is a this is the big challenge for for millions of Canadians, uh, millions of boomers who are. Um, who are approaching retirement or in retirement, how do you make sure you don't run out of money? And it's a real challenge because uh, you know, rates of return are in, in, in bonds and GICs are very low and, uh, and rates of return in the stock market are uncertain. You know, uh, over time, they've been good, but they bounce around a lot and, and, and a lot of people can't handle that, that sort of those ups and downs or can't afford to take can only afford it takes a small risk in the market. So, so it's a real uh, major challenge and a real source of stress for, for many, many people. Um, what do I do? I, uh, I, I, I do maintain, as I said earlier, a mix of Canadian and U.S. stocks as well as GICs. But I, certainly over the last several years, I've, I've increased the, the GIC component of, of my portfolios. Um, and, and reduce the stock uh, portion uh, to um, to to give to give myself uh, some cushion and to give myself uh, two or three years of of, uh, of funding available through you know, sort of guaranteed um, uh, investments GICs that that won't go won't that aren't subject to volatility so that um, I, I'll be able to uh, ride out. Any you know any short-term market storms that come along, uh, so that I can avoid the sort of the worst-case scenario that people get themselves into, which is the market takes a dive; it's down ten percent, which it is now, or or twenty percent, or thirty percent. You know, it's a really ugly market, let's say, um, and then they feel they have to sell; uh, they can't stand it anymore. They sort of panic and sell, uh, or they're forced to sell because they just can't uh, take any more risk. That's the sort of worst scenario, uh, and we saw so many, so many people do exactly that in, in you know, two thousand eight and two thousand nine when the market was uh, you know, market crashed and, uh, and and people just couldn't take it anymore and sold sold all their stocks. And you know, in the meantime, stocks are up two hundred percent since then or whatever. And uh, folks. Just got- mm-hmm. Yeah, they could. They they sold at the bottom and um, and really um, financially suffered as a result. So I th- I think as you you know as you get as you get get toward retirement or in retirement, you have to have a good a chunk of your um, of your investments in uh, in in GICs or short term bonds or or other forms of of liquid. Um, uh, instruments, cash, whatever that uh, that enable you to fund your um, your cost of living or over uh, at least a couple of years, so that you're not forced to to sell uh, when the market dips and dives. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a target? date rate uh, date length that you use so for you know like do you do a three-year gic cushion or you know one one year five year uh, is, is there is there a particular time a particular length that works well for you well i think three years is a reasonable time frame for for sort of cash or or, or um gic's mm-hmm. uh, in terms of um, making sure you have that much uh, three years worth of um 
worth of, of, uh, of expenses covered. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a matter, that's a personal thing. It's, it's uh, an individual choice. I, I'm more bullish than most people probably are and more used to um, the ups and downs of the stock market. I, they don't bother me as much as they probably bother most people. Uh, so, uh, you know, really it's, and you've got to find your comfort zone. The most, mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is, you know, figuring out how much risk are you willing to take in the stock market? How much, how much volatility are you willing to, to, to stomach? Uh, and, 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 and using that as a guide to determine how much uh, of your portfolio to, uh, to, to have in the stock market versus um, um, lo- super low risk stuff like GICs or, or short term bonds. I mean, the stock market over time has produced a much uh, much higher returns. So, and you know, I'm 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 62. Uh, some people think, well, you get to retirement and you know, uh, and then something happens. You you know, your investment portfolio turns into a pumpkin or something like that. It doesn't happen. You, 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 I've, I've still got to invest as though I'm going to be around, mm-hmm. you know, 25 or 30 years from now. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a super long time frame, even though I'm, I'm at the, the point of retirement. So, you know, just buying GICs or, or short-term bonds, that's not going to do much for me. I'm going to earn, you know, two and a half or, or, or 3%, you know, after <laughs> inflation eats away half of that and, uh, right. and whatever's left, you know, if you, depending on your, on your circumstances, you know, tax can eat away another half of that. Uh, and you're left with virtually nothing, zero return. So um, in order to um, really, generate a positive return after after fees after taxes after inflation you got to invest in the stock market which means you gotta you've got to stomach the volatility that goes along with that so you know it's it's there's no one answer to the what should you do question it's it's uh, it's uh, based on individual choice but you know the most important thing uh, for for individuals to do is to gain a little bit of knowledge of investment basics, understand a little bit about how it works, and that'll put you in a position to make a better informed decision, uh, and uh, you know make the right decision for yourself and, and your family, and and and, and go through um, uh, go through life with less stress and less worry about the markets. Mm-hmm. For sure, and I'm definitely not asking you to, you know, give us some golden, you know, or silver bullet that is the correct sure. answer in every situation and every scenario. And for because that yeah. we, uh, you know, you and I both know that doesn't exist, and yes. listen, uh, you know, long, listeners of the podcast also know that that doesn't exist because we, you know, we've definitely talked about it before. Uh, but it is, I, I think, it is very interesting to talk to, especially those who are, you know, did a traditional retirement or early retirement, and see it be people who have background and, and expertise in this field, and see well, how do they personally structure everything based on all the mm-hmm. best practices they've read over the years you know what did they ultimately settle on in terms of that mix you know to give them that uh, you know the, so that they're to give them that sort of sweet spot for them specifically where they're still going to get to take advantage of the growth in the markets but they're also not exposing themselves to so much risk that they're going to have to withdraw during a major downturn some, you know something of that nature so exactly. that's, um, that's exactly right and, yeah. and it's, I think that can be different for every individual and, and, you know, if you've got an advisor, they can help you figure it out. And, mm-hmm. but whether you have an advisor or not learning the basics, getting some, gaining some investor investment literacy, 
um, will will uh, will be a big positive uh, in, in helping to make uh, the right decisions. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Now you mentioned the three years. How that that works well for you as an aggressive, you know, quote unquote aggressive investor. What others would consider an aggressive investor. Uh, what? How did you settle on that three-year number? Was it looking at you know average recession lengths and things like that, or is, was it just more um, qualitative, where that just makes you feel comfortable? You know, how, how did you come up with that? Well, I think that's most um, you know over over most market cycles, uh, three years will will, will take you. Most market downturns last probably less than probably six months, uh, twelve months. Very few last more than a more than a couple of years. Uh, so that's um, uh, so. I think that's a three-year time frame is is long enough to cover. Um, will very very likely be long enough to cover any downturn in the market. Gotcha. So, is, is it is your thinking in the sense of okay, let's say there's a downturn, it's dropping, markets are dropping for let's say six months, twelve months. Historically, you know, if, if you know if things continued going the way they have in the past, most likely, you know, after that twelve month period, we're historically would have started to see the markets recover. And yeah. so, if we have a three year cushion, then that gives us plenty of time. To, for the markets to get back to their previous state. And so now we can start withdrawing from our equities. Is that kind of your, your yeah, thought yeah, process there? That, that is, uh, that, that's a good description, yeah. Okay, great. And so do you use a GIC ladder for that or how, how, did, you, how did you choose to do, implement that? I, um, uh, I have some term GICs. I also use uh, some, uh, some cashable GICs. So I've got a mix in there. I don't have a formal ladder, mm-hmm. uh, which I think can be. A, uh, that's a great approach for for many people. Um, I, I don't I don't uh, have that strict a uh, a process in, in, in GICs. Okay. But I think again that can be that that is a great concept and, and a great way for people to keep them uh, their their investment their GIC investments organized. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, no, that, that that's great. Uh, thanks for thank you for sharing that. It's always interesting, like I said, to, to hear how others have uh, you know have, have structured their uh, you know <laughs> their their retirement essentially. Now, if you were retiring much earlier, uh, let's say you were in your thirties or forties, and you were you know you had enough in your investments to actually be able to retire at that point, would you tweak your strategy a little bit because now there's an even longer time horizon that you have to make sure you have enough money for? Well, uh, I, I, I don't know anybody uh, in their 30s or 40s who is in that position, but but if uh, but if people are, then uh, that's that's great. But uh, I think the longer your time frame, the more that you the more that you would uh, tend to want to be in in, in stocks. Um, uh, you know, I think also the longer the time frame that you have, the more important it is that you that you that you um, if you can rely on your uh, on your income from your investments, dividends or interest uh, coupons or whatever, to uh, to cover your costs. If you've got a very long time frame and you're eating into your principal um, to cover your costs, then that, that's 
you know, that, that's a more uh, a risky, risky approach if you're, if you're doing that and relying on the markets to uh, market increases over time to, to keep you uh, on track. Uh, so, the, yeah, it's a, I, 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 I don't know how many of your listeners are in their 30s, 30s and 40s who, who can afford to retire, but certainly um, that's, uh, that's, a rare, that's a rare thing. Mm-hmm. Now, with something like a you mentioned, like a three-year GIC, uh, you know, to cover sort of those downturns, do you think that would still uh, could still apply to someone that is like, let's say, they held a very high equity portion, um, and then they had, yeah, let's say, three years, they felt very comfortable with large volatility, the three-year sort of GIC time frame that you're using, do you think that could still be useful for them? Yeah, or, I think so. Um, yeah. Again, it's a it's it, it's a so many different factors involved in, in individual decision. You know how much how much volatility they're willing to to handle. Um, you know what 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 are their expenses versus their their income uh, mm-hmm. and so on. So um, again, I think the important thing is get comfortable with how how investing works and. And then you can make you know you can make good decisions, but it's it's, it's certainly tough, as you mentioned earlier, to sort of provide a, a, a blanket. Oh, this is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and this is the wrong thing to do. For, for sure, for sure. Now, for the a bond portion of someone's portfolio, you know, what kind of bonds do you recommend? I noticed in your book you were very pro uh, short term bonds instead of long term. Um, you know, can you talk about you know long term bonds versus short term versus Canadian mm-hmm. versus international? Sure. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, first of all, I, I, I see bonds, uh, the bond portion of your portfolio, or fixed income portion of your portfolio, whether it's GICs or bonds, that's that's the the uh, the wealth protection element of your portfolio. Stocks are the wealth uh, uh, growth part of your portfolio, the wealth building part of your portfolio. Uh, bonds are your wealth uh, uh, wealth protection element. So um, there are high risk bonds out there, high yield bonds and, uh, and and so forth. I think for most investors, you want to avoid those and stick with um, largely government bonds. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they're very low risk. Um, they're a bit lower return, but you don't have to worry about picking the right ones particularly. And I, I recommend uh, uh, provincial bonds like government of Ontario, Quebec or BC or or whatever, uh, they pay uh, maybe a half percent or maybe one percent higher than government of Canada bonds. So you pick up pick up the extra return for, in my view, not much additional risk. Um, Long term versus short term. Um, uh, again, given that bonds I, I see as uh, as wealth protectors, I think you want to minimize the volatility of. Uh, the ups and downs in, in the value of your bonds and um, long-term bonds can be very volatile uh, as, as, as interest rates increase, which they have been doing lately, uh, bond prices have been, do- have been dropping and the longer the maturity of the bonds you're holding, um, the more, <laughs> the more uh, their, their price will drop as interest rates go up. Uh, for example, if you're only a 30 year bond uh, rates go up by, uh, by one percent, that bond m- m- value uh, may drop by ten or fifteen percent. 
which will surprise a lot of people who think bonds are perfectly safe. And so, but short-term bonds, if uh, a three-year bond, for example, uh, that the uh, interest rates go up by one percent, that bond might will go down in value, but it'll only go down in value by two or three percent. So, uh, so you got to be a little bit cautious with long-term bonds. I I, I prefer to avoid them. Uh, certainly in this in uh, this environment where interest rates are. There's more risk of interest rates increasing than uh, than decreasing, and in terms of currencies, um, you know, if if you've got some reason to need income in other currencies, then you know, non-Canadian Canadian bonds may make sense. For instance, if you're if you spend a, a bunch of U.S. dollars, if you have a place in, in in Florida or whatever, and you need U.S. U.S. dollars every year to to finance your um, your costs well owning owning u.s dollar bonds um, uh, may make good sense but aside from that uh, there's no particular value in canadians owning uh, bonds denominated in other currencies Mm -hmm. so uh, for most people i recommend shorter term bonds or gic's Um, i recommend government bonds uh, rather than corporate bonds and i think um, bonds issued by provinces are are probably a good um, combination of, of, of a bit higher yield and very low risk. Mm-hmm. Now, like you mentioned earlier, you, you for your personal portfolio, you favor the GICs. Now, mm-hmm. are there any pros to bonds over GICs? Things that would make... Yeah, I, I, let's, let's leave it at that. Are there any... Sure. So you've talked about, about why you pick GICs, but what about, you know, are there what are the pros to bonds? The pros to bonds are, are um, that... Uh, the first, the first and most important is is liquidity. Uh, most GICs, um, you buy a two-year GIC or a five-year GIC, you're stuck for for that uh, for that term. You don't you you don't have access to your funds until that GIC matures. Uh, whereas with bonds, buying bonds in the uh, through a, through a discount broker or or whatever, um, you change your mind, you can sell them the next day uh, as long as it's a, a high quality bond. Uh, they, and either a government bond or or even a high quality corporate bond, uh, liquidity is uh, is is a big advantage. You can get access to your money uh, uh, by by selling anytime. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, but in your case, you just have some shorter term GICs, and then you're you kind of cover yourself off that way, as opposed to just putting all your money into like a five year. GIC or a three-year GIC, and then that well, way yeah, you're staying liquid. I, I, I don't want to put my money in a five-year GIC because I uh, I'm going to use some of it over the next right. Year. Exactly, yeah. and then there's the whole opportunity cost if rates do go up. Well, now you're locked in at these lower rates, and there's also that component, right? Uh, so. ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. for shorter term, whether it's GICs or bonds, I I prefer uh, shorter term because I, I I think that the risk. Um, I, I want safety in my in my fixed income portfolio. I don't want risk of mm-hmm. of, of it going down and by ten or fifteen percent in value, which long term bonds can. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then, what are your thoughts uh, or, or on the criticisms of the S and P TSX, so the Canadian index? And I mean, uh, the main thing I'm thinking, talking about here is you know, the sector concentration that it's very much known for. You know, mm-hmm. yes, we can try to adjust. Our portfolios to maybe offset that a bit, but that obviously adds a lot more complexity to our portfolio. So, you know, is it worth it? We're now incurring more complexity, probably you know, higher trading costs, all that. You know, can you can you take us through it? Sure. Well, the 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 Canadian economy is um, uh, is 
heavily uh, resource industry based and uh, and the other big component of our economy, certainly of the stock market, are our financial uh, institutions. So, you know, if you invest in uh, in a Canadian um, uh, stock index fund, relative to you know the, the global economy, you've got a very heavy uh, exposure to, uh, to to mining, to oil and gas, and to financials. And um, you know, the, that sort of flies in the face of, of the fundamental uh, principle of, of diversifying. It's not, it, there, there, there is um, limited diversification or in most people would say insufficient diversification uh, for Canadian, uh, among Canadian uh, stocks. So, um, so that is a, certainly a shortcoming of the Canadian stock market, which uh, can be addressed um, by uh, by investing outside Canada. So I think most people who are investing in stocks uh, should have well, probably at least fifty percent of their stock investments um, outside Canada. Uh, and our uh, you know our neighbor across the border, uh, the U.S. has the, the the world's largest, uh, most dynamic, most successful economy ever known and their stock market um, has uh, tons of diversity in, in sectors that that um, are severely underrepresented in Canada like uh, like high tech like uh, like healthcare like um, you know, large manufacturers uh, large brands etc uh, etc et so um, so I think uh, the short answer is yeah Invest some of your um, your stock portfolio in in, uh, in Canadian stocks through index funds or otherwise or blue chip stocks, but have a big chunk um, invested outside Canada, largely in the U.S. Or and and if you want, uh, you can buy global index funds or you know, combination of U.S. Uh, and non North American, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's various ways to do it, but if you're going to get real diversification, which uh, which is important, you've got to have some of your stock investments outside Canada. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, you, in that answer, you touched on the home country bias, right? That exists for for most Canadians here, right? About having more of your portfolio in Canada than would be justified if you're looking specifically at Canada's share of the entire world economy. So sure. how, you know, what is what is the reasoning that you, you know, tell your readers or, or, or you know, that, that you believe for, for having such a, like you said, you know, over 50% you said to have outside of Canada, but, mm-hmm. you know, Canada's percentage of the whole world economy is much, much, I mean, it's a few percent, right? It's not nowhere near 50. Sure. Uh, you know, so what what justification is there for having such a large portion in Canada mm-hmm. to begin with, especially adding to, because of the fact that it's also not very well diversified in terms of sectors? Right. Well, uh, one reason is uh, people understand uh, their 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 home market and their their home economy uh, much better than they understand uh, what's going on elsewhere in the world uh, and, and I think people are uh, can be more comfortable and uh, with with what's happening here even if the markets are are difficult um, whereas you know if you've got your funds invested in uh, in the far east or uh, in Europe or whatever and there's stuff going on and the markets are are volatile and there's headlines about crisis here and there. Uh, I think people are more likely to uh, 
um, to be fearful and stressed over that and, and, and react badly. Uh, so I think there is value in, um, in, in the, there is uh, home country bias makes sense to some degree because I think people are, are more comfortable with investing closer to home with, with companies, uh, that they, that they know that they, that they actually do business with, for instance. Um, and, uh, um, and, 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 an economy they're familiar with rather than being, uh, you know, overseas and no understanding of it. So I think home bias is, is, makes, makes some sense despite, um, the, the, the shortcoming of the lack of diversification in Canada. So you've got a, that's the sort of trade-off home country uh, advantage versus lack of diversification. And, and again, I think, uh, some some investors may want to have own a very small portion of their their equity investments in Canada if they and that's fine uh, if uh, if they're comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. So is the primary ben- is the primary benefit then that you're more likely to keep sort of a cool head you know and ride out storms that will inevitably come up in your investment journey. Um, if you are heavily invested in a country that you also live in, so you know you hear you know, sky is falling out in the emerging market space, let's say, yeah, right? And yeah. so you're saying if you have so much there, you're you're more likely to maybe panic, do something, you know, like just just sell at a bottom because you're so worried and you don't really know what's going on. Versus Canada, you might you might see the stock market crashing, but then you go outside and you see, well, everyone seems to be working. The companies seem to be doing, you know, okay. Yeah. They're not you doing can, mass layoffs. You can, find, you can find for yourself that the, that the sky isn't quite falling. Right, uh, right. And another advantage as well is you avoid currency risk, which can be significant. Mm-hmm. Um, invest in stock markets, uh, um, you know, overseas, you're subject to whatever the, uh, you know, the Chinese currency is doing or the pound or the, or the euro, or whatever. So that's that's another thing that sort of that you can eliminate, or that's another added risk of of, uh, of investing uh, overseas. Right. Uh, so it's just simpler. But uh, you know, again, uh, it's um, you know, it's uh, personal comfort level has has a lot to do with it. And again, you can how do you how do you get that comfort comfort level? Take a bit of time to learn learn some basics. Don't be just uh, don't blindly follow what somebody tells you to do. Learn a little bit about it, and you'll be a much more informed uh, uh, consumer, if you want, if you will, of investing products, and uh, and and be a you know a smarter consumer. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then you know when you talk about currency risk, do you do you yourself do you go with? You mentioned you invest in the U.S. Do you go with unhedged or hedged ETFs, or do you just invest directly in, you know, like a VTI, for example, you know, like a just a U.S. traded ETF that holds the index? What do you? What's your personal preference when it comes to that? Um, I, I think uh, uh, my personal preference is unhedged. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's the right thing to do for um, for long term investors because over time those sorts of currency moves up and down, especially. Canada versus U.S. dollars um, is, is is one of the uh, is less a, a, a less uh, volatile uh, currency um, pair than uh, say uh, Canada versus euro or, or sterling or yen or whatever. Much mm-hmm. more risk there. But no, so I, I I don't I don't hedge my U.S. stock investments. And uh, if I were shorter term, I might. But uh, but no. 
Mm-hmm, gotcha. Okay. No, that's great. Thanks for thanks for. Uh, like I said, there's no no silver bullet like we said, but uh, it's always yeah. nice to know what uh, what you've personally decided to do because I'm you know you've been you've been in this for a long time, so <laughs> there's always there's some good reasoning behind your uh, yeah, yeah. your decisions, right? And uh, and you're retired now, right? So I'm sure you've done a lot of uh, <laughs> research before pulling the trigger as well, right? Well, uh, I know I, I you know one thing I'd say about that is and again, I'm I'm not a typical investor, but I spend very I, I don't spend any time really looking at what's going on in the market. I ignore it completely because, you know, I'll just give you an example. You know, if you watch BNN or CNBC or whatever, you see people talking all day about what's going on in the market. Uh, but next day, none of what they talked about <laughs> the previous day means anything. It's just noise. It's uh, So I, 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 the stock market is up 300 points or down 300 points or, or whatever it it just has zero impact on me because i it's meaningless in the long term um yeah you know if, if you look at um you know the s&p 500 the u.s main u.s stock index you know it's 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 averaged up 10 percent a year over uh over over time, over the last 20 years, actually probably over the last 60 or 70 years. Uh, and yet it's gone through massive, massive ups and downs. You know, the the, the, the global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, you know, the, the, the dot-com crisis in 2000, you know, the Russian crisis, this crisis, this crash of 87. What did all those events, what was the, what was the ultimate impact of all those events on on the value of the stocks in, in the S&P 500? The answer is zero. It didn't have any impact over the long run. And that's a way of looking at investing that I think would benefit uh, most uh, most investors. Forget about the day-to-day noise. It's just noise. It's meaningless. Um, really, what, what matters is, uh, is the long-term growth in the economy and um, and the increase in profitability over over long periods of time, over many years and many decades uh, of the companies that uh, that you're ultimately invested in, um, and the market moves day to day are meaningless. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And, and one question I just came, I just thought of too was, sure. I've heard I've heard some people do a strategy where say they're in retirement. And they will have a combination. So, I mean, they'll have a you know big equity portion, but they'll instead of using you know just bonds or just GICs, they'll do a combination of the two. Why would someone uh, do that? What, what are, are there certain pros and cons of of doing that versus going with just GICs or just bonds for for the you know safety portion of your portfolio? Mm. Oh, I don't know. If there's, I don't think there's there's any particular uh, single answer to that question. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, some may want to have um, uh, liquidity for an immediate access to their cash. Uh, and and, and, and in those cases, bonds might be a better choice because um, you can just sell them and get your cash, whatever the market value of them is at the time. And and that other people tuck money away in GICs, and some some people just keep their money in their bank and throw them into GICs. Although you should shop around. So no, I don't, I don't, I don't know of any particular <laughs> insight I have uh, on that on that question. I I, I think um, you know we talked a bit about bonds earlier. You know, shorter shorter term, I think is is lower risk, um, and. Uh, uh, 
but you know, I, I, I wouldn't have a strong view of uh, of a big advantage other than the uh, liquidity advantage as between shorter term bonds or GICs. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of you picking GICs for your own portfolio, is one of the reasons too that you just don't want to have to deal with the impact that interest rates are going to have, and you know, you mentioned before about you know the the relationship between interest rates going up, bond prices going down, all that, you know. But you can sort of, you know, in a way, bypass that right by just doing GICs, and then you're not worried that much about interest rates. I mean, they still impact you, right? Because there's still the opportunity cost if rates go up, and you know, you're locked into like a long-term GIC. But I mean, is that one of the kind of reasons that that you decided to deal with that? No, not really for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I actually, where I work, I worked in the bond business, and I'm I'm very familiar and comfortable with how bond prices move, so that doesn't bother me. But uh, no, it was just really uh, better value. Really, that's what it boiled down to. Is okay, look at, uh, looking at GIC rates that are available uh, versus uh, the yields available on bonds. It's mm-hmm. really as simple as that. GIC rates can be much higher than uh, than than the rates of return offered on government bonds. Mm-hmm. Simple as that, really. Gotcha. That's great. Um, now, okay, last question. Going back to your book, you know, one of my favorite parts was how you broke down investment portfolio optimization to just six core areas to focus on. Can you talk about each of those? Maybe give uh, the listeners a bit of a you know kind of a teaser for your book. What these six core areas are? Well, sure. It's it's what I call the the wealth formula, and and there are six uh, factors or forces that will determine the success or failure of every single investment that you make or every single portfolio that you have or your RSP or TFSA or whatever it is. So there's six forces, three wealth builders and three wealth killers. You want to maximize the builders and minimize the killers. So what are the three wealth builders? Very simple. The amount you invest, the, uh, the time frame or your time period of investment and your rate of return. So, that sounds pretty simple. It is. So the more you, the more obviously, the more you invest and the longer the time frame and the higher the, your rate of return, uh, the better your result. Now, uh, but what really drives that, that wealth builder uh, aspect of the formula is, is the compounding. Um, obviously, uh, um, uh, investing at, at, uh, at good rates of return over long periods uh, creates this magic of compounding. Uh, Einstein called it uh, the most powerful force in the universe. The, you know, the results can be astonishing, uh, just shocking to, to people if you run the numbers. And you know, you can see a little calculator on my on my website, which uh, which does that. But but uh, yeah, that power of compounding can produce just astonishing returns over over long periods of time. And by the way, you know, Warren Buffett's a, a brilliant guy, and he's made great investments. But the real secret to his his, the growth of his uh, his net worth over time is he's been investing for 65 years. The guy's 85. He started when he was 20. I mean, he's really benefited massively from that compounding uh, and those three forces, the amount uh, of investment, the time frame, and, and the rate of return. So that's the wealth builder side. The wealth killer side is uh, three, three forces – fees, taxes, and inflation. You've got to try to minimize those or minimize the impact. We've talked a fair bit about fees. Uh, that's where most Canadians really lose out. They're paying 
stupidly high fees and you know the and the financial institutions will keep charging them as long as people keep paying them and 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 they'll avoid uh they'll avoid uh, any any discussion of, of the impact but so fees are the number one uh wealth killer that canadians need to minimize um second is is taxes and i think most canadians do a decent job at that uh, everybody's familiar with TFSAs and RSPs and, and, and so forth, and, uh, um, and, and so those are, are great tools for minimizing uh, the wealth-killing effect of, uh, of taxes. The last wealth killer, inflation, there's nothing you can do to stop inflation. It's out of, out of, it's out of our control. Uh, the thing you have to do is beat it. And I, I mentioned it in an example earlier, you know, if inflation is, is 2%, well, you know, you've got to earn more than two percent just to just to to, to keep um, to keep the value of of your uh, of your purchasing power. So, looking at those wealth killers, um, I, I mentioned compounding in the context of the wealth builders. And compounding can work in the opposite way too. Um, in fact, you know, it it uh, it, it brings to mind uh, Jack Bogle's sort of famous uh, statement. He said, "The miracle." Of compounding returns can be overwhelmed by the, the tyranny of compounding costs. So wealth builders, you, you maximize the compounding effect there. Wealth killers, try to minimize the compounding effect there. And, and again, as you use an example, let's say you've got a 6% return overall on your, uh, on your on your portfolio, if you're paying two percent fees, now you're down to four. If you're paying, if you're paying uh, half your return in taxes, you're down. You now, now that four percent is down to two percent. If if your uh, if inflation is two percent, your net return is down to zero. So you can easily earn a six percent return on your portfolio and end up with zero uh, at the end of the day. So those wealth killers can cause math, massive damage. So again, the wealth formula. Those three wealth builders, three wealth killers, those will be the six factors that will determine the, re, the result of every investment that you make. Um, keep that in mind and uh, you know, manage those six, six forces uh, to, uh, to, to benefit yourself uh, to, to the extent that you can. Wonderful. Thank you, Larry. So tell us more. Where can we get your book? How can we learn more about it? Uh, see more of your work. Of course, we're going to have a giveaway for your book here on the show as well. Uh, you know, but for everybody uh, else, uh, tell us more about that. Sure. The book is called Beat the Bank. Uh, and the subtitle is The Canadian Guide to Simply Successful Investing. So again, it's a bit of a wake-up call on what people do. Uh, the mistakes people make right now, they're not aware of. Uh, uh, explain some investing basics to enable people to uh, make better decisions, uh, use lower cost products, and and build larger nest eggs. And it is in stores across Canada. It's also available online uh, at Amazon, Indigo, and elsewhere in both uh, print book as well as ebook. Um, uh, my website is LarryBates.ca. Uh, you can find lots of stuff there. Some uh, articles, uh, news stories, uh, and there's also a very useful tool which will show you the impact of the fees you're paying over time. And most people, when they look at that, are absolutely shocked. And uh, a very useful tool. Um, uh, the book's also in libraries. And uh, I'm also on, uh, on social media, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Okay, awesome. All right, wonderful, Larry. Thank you for coming on and uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks, Cornell. All right, take care. Bye. 
All right, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to enter the giveaway for free for a chance to win one of the three signed copies of Larry's book. And to do that, just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash beatthebank. All one word. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash beatthebank. And of course, if you haven't already, as a Build With Canada listener, don't forget to get that free one-year subscription to Canadian Money Saver magazine and double that interest rate that you're currently getting in your checking and savings account by signing up for free to my favorite bank that I've been using for years over at buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. Once you do that, forward me any email that EQ sends you over to bonus at buildwealthcanada.ca and I'll send you the coupon code that gets you a one-year free subscription to Canadian Money Saver magazine, basically a $20 bonus that you're getting for free. You also get that extra perk of five free Interact e-transfers every month and you'll know that you're getting one of the highest interest rates in Canada on your savings account. All right, so that link again is buildwealthcanada.ca slash EQ. Thank you for supporting the show in that way. Have a great week and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 